Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. hear these words today from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he certainly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels." This and these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. We come to gather in your house to magnify your name and to worship you. And yet, O God, as we magnify your name, sometimes we find ourselves just like Peter. We proclaim who you are and then quickly we rebuke what you came to do. 
Help us, O God. Help us to die to ourselves so that we might rise for you. Place the cross before me and all of us. Let none see me but you and your grace alone. Amen. Year after year, when I was younger, I would venture to the Siegel Center, that's an event center for the VCU Rams, the place where they also uh, have their basketball games. And when I would go there, I would participate in the Woodstock of evangelical youth groups called the Youth Evangelism Conference. It was everything that title sounds like it would be. Loud music, silly games, beach balls bouncing everywhere. It was a day at King's Dominion, and it was night after night after night of persuasive speakers with stories of how they had emerged from hell to heaven in this life. And how this 10-year-old little me could do the same. The altar calls they gave were amazing. Hundreds of kids going forward, including myself. I was a sinner and I was convinced that I needed saving. The same scenario played out in my life like a movie Groundhog Day for six plus years. Every single time, it was loud music, silly games, a day at King's Dominion, and here comes little me walking up the aisle. I'm certain after a while, they stopped handing me the little placard that told me to fill out my name, and they just started welcoming me by it. You see, early in my Christian journey, I was convinced of two things. I was convinced that I was a sinner, And I was convinced that I needed a savior. And what events like the Youth Evangelism Conference taught me was how to put these two things together. And once I found, once I went forward, the puzzle piece seemed to fit. All was done. And yet something still felt missing. Hence my incessant desire to always go forward. You see, as I read and I reflect on Mark's gospel account of Jesus, I can imagine the hillside of Caesarea Philippi being the Siegel Center as the conference is winding down. I can imagine Jesus saying, we've had our fun, we've sung our songs, or in Peter's case, we've heard our sermons, We've watched your miracles, and now I can see as the evangelist curbing his intonation of their voice and saying, other peoples have an opinion, drawing to a close. No longer is it sufficient to the world to supply your answers. Who do you say I am? Then, like the sobbing 10-year-old me or the grown Peter, we exclaim, you are the Messiah. As we run to the front of the stage, like every hopeless romantic film, where the couple splits up and they awkwardly find their way back together. Curtains close, all is well, story 
is over. We have honored Jesus with our mouths. Life is good. But sometimes we forget that Jesus says, you honor me with your mouths, and yet your heart is far from me. You see, we see this is the very next episode of Jesus' encounter with Peter and his disciples. As Peter goes from commending Jesus as the Messiah to pulling Jesus off to the side to have a little powwow with him. No, Jesus, this shall never happen to you. What are you doing? You see, Robert Capone, he's a theologian, he responds that this passage of Mark's gospel is a climactic shift. It's a moment in which prior to this episode, Jesus still sort of fits into this traditional role of what the promised Messiah would be. He would be a liberator of the oppressed. He would be a voice for the hopeless. He would be a way for the weary. He would be an opponent to the powers that be. So when Jesus asks Peter and Peter responds, you are the Messiah? We immediately gravitate towards him and his prophetic response with glee without realizing the deep sorrow that's involved as Peter fails to equate the type of Messiah it is that Jesus would be. One that is to suffer at the hands of of the powerful. And just as quickly as Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah proclaims that Peter is Satan. For you do not have the mind of the concerns of God, but merely your own human concerns. You see, Peter failed to see the cosmic nature in which Jesus had come to fulfill. For centuries, the people of Israel had been waiting for a Messiah that would liberate them from their oppressors, who would come in as a chief warrior and destroy the powers that would be. But Jesus hadn't come to defeat Rome as much as Peter and others may have wanted. And he certainly did not come to defeat Rome in the way in which Peter and others had desired. Because Jesus is smart enough to realize that should Rome or any other power be defeated, another Romish rule would quickly fill in its place. And the endless cycle of violence and domination would ensue. No, Peter may have desired a Messiah who would reign supreme in battle, but instead he's getting one that hangs supreme on the cross. And to complicate the matters even more, this Jesus, this Jesus that they're all hanging out with for quite some time now, he doesn't demand Peter as much as he wants to pull the sword from his sheath. He doesn't demand Peter or any other who would come after him to draw that sword and to march violently into battle. This Jesus This Jesus demands something more than your heroism. This Jesus 
demands that you don't draw your sword. He demands that his followers just go ahead and lay down their lives. Lay down your life in an effort to model the cross-shaped life of Jesus. That's the challenging thing that comes with the 10-year-old me who wants to run to the altar to get saved. Nobody told me that I was also saying, I want to die. I want to no longer live to myself. You see, I was simply following some sort of emotional response. People had called me. I had seen how hell and heaven had been defeated, and I figured if I wanted it, I could just have it, but no one told me that it comes at a cost. And particularly, no one told me that the cost is me. It can be someone else. But I thought because of Jesus, I got to get out of jail free card. So what are we to do when Jesus tells us if I want to be his disciple, it's not simply enough for me to walk down in front of the Siegel Center. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously wrote in his book, Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and to die. I'm convinced that many of us today are like Peter, or even myself at the Youth Woodstock event. We toss out our words of Christ without thinking much about them. We toss out our words without finding how much it actually will cost us for using them. You see, to profess Jesus today is a, nothing more than a cultural modifier solidifying our place and our name within a so-called Christian nation. Whereas, according to Jesus, to profess Jesus should, in a very real way, be a demarcation not of our place in society, but the place of our graves on the field of discipleship. Dying to self. Rising to Christ. You see, the underlying presupposition to these claims is this. We have made being a Christian way too easy. And we have traded in the gospel for what Bonhoeffer later says is nothing more than cheap grace. What is cheap grace? I'm glad you asked. Bonhoeffer describes it and its counterpart, costly grace, this way. He says, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap cheap jack swears. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolation of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits, Bonhoeffer says. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite as well. What would grace be, he asked, if it were not cheap? 
cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring anyone to repent. It's baptism without demanding church discipline. It's communion without demanding the corporate body to be in confession. It's forgiveness of sins without demanding its members to personally confess they've done them. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, Bonhoeffer says. It's grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. On the other hand, there's costly grace. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man who will go and sell all he has to find it. It's the pearl of a great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods to do so. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out an eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ in which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It's a grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life in return. Grace, it's costly because it condemns your sin. But it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it's cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost so much to God cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for your life. But he delivered him up anyways. Costly grace is the incarnation of God in human flesh. You see, Peter, we too often read and stop too soon. Peter on that mount follows the trajectory of our own lives when we say that it's simply enough to honor God with our lips without realizing the God in whom we are honoring and what that God calls us and bids us to do. What I wish would have happened earlier in my life is not only that someone would have said that this price is available to you, but they would have warned me. They would have warned me that though you accept this gift, it might be free, but it will cost you everything. You see, the Christian life is this. You only have to die. It's that simple, and yet so complex. You are the Messiah, and I will follow you, even if that following leads to a cross-shaped life. 
When Christ bids you, he bids you come and die. Amen. Thank you.